and welcome to the show that really isn't about to apologise for getting overexcited about the football again. On today's show, just how good is James Madison? And have Norwich got any chance at all of keeping him to themselves? It was Chris Powell Day at Southend on Saturday. Matt Stanger and I went deep into Essex to see what all the fuss was about. And what's life like at the Football League's most northern outpost? We catch up with Carlisle United. Sam Parkin joins us in the studio today. We'll be playing the Fan League. We've got all the usual bits and bobs. And we are delighted that you're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. All right, morning, everyone. Morning, Sam Parkin. Hi, Ian. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You are, of course... Former Chelsea, Millwall, Wickham, Oldham, Northampton, Swindon, where you're very much still loved, Ipswich, Luton, Leighton Orient, Walsall, St Johnston, Queen of the South, St Mirren and Exeter City striker. Wow. Spot on. It was, uh, yeah, it went quickly. You've been keeping removal firms in business for like 20 I years. I have. I got very into running just after I retired, did a couple of marathons and I thought I could maybe do something where I incorporated every football club and I just thought, Perth to uh, Exeter <laughs> was just too much of a leg for that, me and someone to have to do together. That is a very long run. Um, for those of you who want to uh, remember Sam Parkin, the goal machine, I'm told there is a 20-minute video on YouTube called Sam Parkin, Goal Machine. Uh, get stuck into that. You also host the Hanging Up the Boots podcast with Danny Gabadon and Reese Weston. Yeah, um, it's gone a little bit quiet recently, but there is talk of bringing it back. Danny's obviously been busy. Um he was on the BBC the other day, looking tremendous um, before the, the Cardiff game, wasn't it? Cardiff-Manchester City. But yeah, the, the concept was really speaking to footballers that are going through the transition, coming out of a playing career. And um, yeah, I think talking about the emotion of it more than anything, obviously talking about current affairs as well. But um, I think there was a bit of a niche in the market, three footballers just talking about kind of how we're feeling going into the real world as such. I think people often underestimate the gap that it must leave in your lives because every mm. day you have like the tight schedule to stick to and yeah. every week you're travelling up and down the country and then suddenly it's gone. It must be weird. I knew how I felt. I found it incredibly challenging, but I didn't realise that the rest of my peers were probably going through it as well. So it's only when you go for a couple of beers and probably sit in a studio and actually chat about it people are actually quite open about revealing what went on and some people that have got good jobs in coaching or away from football now still go through real difficult time and I think there's still work that needs to be done in that area um, and you know it is a it's a talking point I think for all footballers you have to try and plan but it's uh it's never that easy when you're in that goldfish bowl and I thought it would go on forever and unfortunately soon you can't run and there's uh, people running <laughs> rings around you in training. <laughs> Have you found that um, being a pundit and covering, I mean you're covering sort of two, three, four games a week aren't you? Has yeah. that filled the gap a little? Yeah, initially, I, I speak about this quite often, I think there's probably a little bit of resentment towards the game maybe when you finish, a little bit of anger. I literally had it for 24 hours and then someone uh, emailed me from the BBC in the West Country and said, do you want to go to Morecambe next week and cover Swindon? And I was straight back into it, didn't give it a second thought. And now I've really enjoyed the last few years. I still have the odd day where, you know, you feel like you want to be back where you once were and, and running around and scoring goals and having that adulation. But we're still young men. There's a large part of our lives to go. And um, no, I'm really enjoying it. I've always been a, an anorak and hopefully that will come across this, uh, this afternoon. <laughs> uh, always enjoyed football historically, looking back over years and... Uh, analysis and everything that went with the game so yeah I, I miss playing but um, I was probably always set out to do something uh, in the media world I think. Well if you like history you're in the right place <laughs> this gets pretty nerdy. Matt Stanger is here. Matt how are you? Very good thanks Ian. Have you recovered from your trip to Essex? Uh, just about yeah. Excellent excellent more on that uh, later. First of all we're going to do uh, performance of the week we thought we'd switch it around today um, and go round the room and ask you for your performances. Matt, who's your nominee? I'm going for Bristol City with their 2-0 win against QPR, which on the face of it looks like a pretty routine win, really, but they had Nathan Baker sent off after half an hour, and obviously they've uh, had those taxing cup games in, in recent weeks, and the form slipped a little bit in the league as well. So to, to, to come back and uh, beat QPR 2-0 with 10 men is, is, is a great performance. That's a compelling case. Sam, who's your call for? 
Well, I completely forgot about Swindon when we were uh, just discussing it off air. I obviously came back against Crewe, 3-1 down at home. I was keeping an eye across it and came back to win 4-3, but I would probably plump for AFC Wimbledon winning at uh, Valley Parade against Bradford, who, again, in the playoffs this year, uh, AFC Wimbledon been struggling for goals. Probably nobody in the country saw that come in and really convincing winner. A very difficult place to go at that level. OK, good shout. Let me tell you a little story about a little team of tryhards in Essex. On a terrible <laughs> run of... I'll, I'll get back to that soon. Producer Tayo, who's your call for? Well, I was going to go for Southend just to, to take away your thunder, but I'm going to go for Fulham away at Barnsley. I like the look of Ryan Sessegnon. He scored again. They're my team. All right, there's your nominees. Uh, if you go to Facebook... Uh, and or Twitter, you'll find various polling type things there. Let us know who you think is a performance of the week winner and we'll let you know back on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you know how to follow us on there, don't you? It's Totally Football Show or some variant thereof. Um, let's move, producer Tayo, to the news in brief. It must be still Christmas in the Football League because messiahs keep returning. First of all, it was Chris Powell at Roots Hall announced the return of the Mac at the Den. Millwall have re-signed Australia international Tim Cahill on a deal until the end of the season. Cahill scored 57 in 251 appearances for Millwall between 97 and 2004 and he's returning until the end of the season to boost his chances of appearing at the Summers World Cup. Jordan Hugo could be on the move. It looks like Preston are going to lose their 10-goal striker. It's an £8 million bid in from Crystal Palace. Bad news for Preston. Moroccan football agent Abdallah Lemsagam has taken over at Oldham Athletic. The deal has now been approved by the English Football League. Lemsagam agreed a deal with majority shareholder Simon Corney, which ends his 14-year association with the Latics. I'm not a billionaire, he said. I'm taking it step by step. I'm here to work hard for the club, with the coach and everyone. And he's certainly got some work to do because Oldham are 22nd in League One and two points adrift. Leeds United will be taking another swing at a new club badge after it was savaged online by pretty much everyone in the world. A statement on the club website read, Following on from last week's commitment to extend consultation with our supporters on the proposed crest change, we're pleased to announce further details. We'd like to thank our loyal fan base for their overwhelming engagement on the future of the club crest. Using your ideas as inspiration, a small shortlist of refined designs will be chosen by fans and then it will go to a democratic vote. Or in other words, if you don't like the next one, it's not our fault. That was your news in brief. Right, let's pick that up with uh, Jordan Hugill, Matt. Um, Crystal Palace, 8 million quid. I mean, that's a decent price for a striker, isn't it? I think they could have got a lot more if he wasn't out of contract at the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, it's a decent price for Crystal Palace, but not so much for Preston, uh, who have flirted with getting back into the playoffs for the last couple of months. But I think if they lose him, that's really their, their chance overall. They have signed Luce Malt from Motherwell this month, and uh, he's a goal scorer as well. So we'll see whether he can step up. Sam, what, what do you make of Jordan Hugo? Very good player, yeah, very good goal scorer. I think early part of the season they were absolutely flying, Preston, and I think um, it was a huge uh, injury crisis really that derailed them. Um, and like Matt rightfully says, um, the lad coming in from Motherwell was probably with an eye on that potentially happening in January. So if he is to move on, they've got a ready-made replacement. Um, Crystal Palace are in desperate need of a striker. So it kind of adds up, doesn't it? And if the money's good, it may be too good to turn down with his contract out in the summer. What kind of striker is he for any Palace fans who might be tuning in for this? Well, I think he's uh, a, a got an array of... Um, Talents, I think, very good hold-up player. I think he can play on the shoulder and get him behind, and I think he's a scorer of goals, and I think he's a very accomplished finisher, finisher at that as well. I think scored some wonderfully taken goals as well, so uh, can produce little moments of magic out of nothing, and it's definitely something that they've missed. They need a little bit more firepower, and it'll probably be to, well, it will be to Preston's detriment if he moves on. All right, Matt, big transfer news, of course, Tim Cahill coming back to Millwall. Uh, how, how big a result is that for Millwall? Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? And the way they announced it on Twitter as well was fantastic. The return, even I, as a Blackburn Rovers fan with no affiliation to Millwall whatsoever, got uh, the hair standing up on the back of my neck watching that. And uh, yeah, I think he'll be a massive lift for them uh, as they look to consolidate their championship status. Sam, you played with him, didn't you? I did, yeah. And with the, with the manager, he was my strike partner when I made my debut, Neil Harris. David Livermore, their assistant manager, was Tim Cahill's partner. So it's an amazing fit. Um, you know, thinking about the way Millwall play, 
Uh, obviously, it's it's pretty regimented. Gregory and Morrison normally leading the line. Two central midfield players, as it was when I was playing in, uh, you know, it was around the millennium uh, with those chaps. And I think it's a great fit. I think probably not from the start, but to come on and have an impact in games and potentially play just off a, a central striker. They do get balls in the box. And it's what Timmy's done all his career, isn't it? Arriving in the area and getting goals. So amazing story. Testament to, to Tim because he keeps himself in immaculate condition at his age to be able to even contemplate playing in the championship. Um, I think it's a really good fit. It's, it's a no-brainer from the Mill perspective and Tim needs to play football to potentially get him in the Australian squad. Yeah, it's a lovely feel-good factor for Millwall. I mean, they've, they've done all right this season, haven't they, Matt? Considering that they came up through the playoffs, they only got into the playoffs on the last day, um, but they, they don't seem to have been sucked into anything. That's right, and I watched them beat Leeds early in the season and, and then uh, they beat Sheffield United as well. And they've, they're always going to be strong at home, but that, that Leeds victory, the, the uh, ding-dong battle at Ellen Road where they won 4-3 in the last minute, that was their first away win of the season, so they'll be looking to, to get a few more on the road. All right, let's have a look at what happened this weekend in the Championship. Look at Fulham go. Four wins on the spin and the Cottagers have smashed their way into the playoff places. Barnsley were doing just fine until Dimitri Cavare's red card reduced them to ten men on the stroke of half-time. Fulham were never going to turn their noses up at a chance like that and they ran out 3-1 winners. Crisis? What crisis? Bristol City had slipped from second to fifth following four championship games without a win, but Lee Johnson's side cruised to a 2-0 win over QPR, despite having Nathan Baker sent off after half an hour. It was probably my worst result ever, said Arsbossy and Holloway. We'll hear more about them in a moment, but congratulations to Norwich for being the first team to beat Brentford at Griffin Park since the first day of the season. One James Madison goal, and what a goal, was enough to seal victory there. Fullback Matt Doherty was the unlikely hero for Wolves, heading in the winner at Ipswich following a brilliant passing move. I don't look at the league table, I look game by game, said Nuno Santo afterwards. They're now 14 points clear third. All right, let's have a look at Norwich. It's been a, a strange season for them this year. Daniel Fark coming in, um, and I mean, we were told uh, that there was a shortlist for managers, and then suddenly there was a shortlist for managers that had four German coaches on it. So there was obviously a kind of deliberate intention to move in this direction. Sam, has it worked? Well, probably the results say, and, and their position in the table, no. I think. Um, Everyone would have an anticipated there being a huge overhaul of players and some quite unlikely names came in from the lower reaches of German football, etc. I saw them very early on and um, I was actually really impressed with them. It's kind of the three at the back, a, a packed midfield and a lot of kind of diminutive midfield players like Vrancic and um, Madison, of course, Murphy. And they played a really exciting brand of football. I saw them at Fulham, I think, on the opening day and then again against Swindon. I know it's a League Two club, but I was really impressed with him and, and his kind of own stamp on the team. And obviously, he's a very highly thought of coach. Um, it's a different way of going. And um, and obviously, it's going to take time for him to implement his style and, and also the philosophy. And, and I feel that we probably put him and Slutsky and, and Christensen and people like that in the same kind of bracket when they came in, just because they were unknown. It's kind of what we do. But I think he is the one that is going to be given time to implement the, his style and his thoughts about the game. So... I think it's going to be a big January for them. It already has been. You know, there's loads of people going in, loads of people coming, uh, going out, sorry. And um, I think you can only really judge him, you know, when he has uh, his, his squad in place and it'll probably take till next uh, summer and the start of next season to see if it's going to be a success. Matt, he, he, it was going all right for him, wasn't he? Um, he had that fantastic week. On the Sunday, they beat Ipswich at Portman Road. And on the Tuesday, they very nearly beat Arsenal um, uh, at the Emirates Stadium. And then it all went horribly wrong. I mean, it would be good if he gets time to build his own team, but will he get that time? Well, you'd probably have to ask Alex Neil that, wouldn't you? Uh, I'm not sure <laughs> he'd agree that he's going to be afforded loads of time. He was certainly an interesting appointment. Um, Norwich obviously took Stuart Webber from Huddersfield last season and uh, he was the man who recruited David Wagner there and, and led that project. And it's almost a, a copy and paste job, really, isn't it? Hiring the Borussia Dortmund reserve team boss in Daniel Fark and bringing him to Norwich. And I, I think 
In, in some ways, Wagner and Fark, Wagner's obviously done a tremendous job, and, and Fark, to be fair, has, has made a pretty solid start at Norwich. But in some ways, I think they benefit from the association with Dortmund and, and Jurgen Klopp and that energetic, attacking brand of football. But really, if you look at the numbers, that they don't play in a, a similar style to Liverpool. They're not so gung-ho. And, uh, you know, Huddersfield went up last season with a negative goal difference, of course. I think they only scored 56 goals over the course of the season. It's been the same problem at Norwich, where they've had trouble unlocking sides, uh, apart from James Madison, of course, who's been in brilliant form, but they've lost Cameron Jerome now as well. They lost Pritchard to Huddersfield, and I'm a bit unsure about how they're going to push on because even though I think they've won four of the last five games in the championship, they uh, they've, the players they brought in to replace Jerome and Pritchard, they're untested players from a lower division German sides, and you wonder how quickly they're going to settle. Yeah, this this German thing always reminds me of a Danny Baker column from the Times years ago, um, talking about Arsene Wenger, who was from Alsace, which was a territory that had changed hands a number of times between France and Germany. And of course, after Arsene Wenger started winning stuff, everyone started appointing French managers. When had one war gone the other way, would they therefore have been suddenly appointed German managers, which of course wasn't done until very recently. So sometimes these trends can be a bit weird but it does seem all right I mean we watched them against Brentford at the weekend it's a fairly solid performance lit up by one extraordinary moment um, from James Madison Um, is he the real deal Sam? Well those games I was referring to a a minute ago he was the name that I came away you know thinking about and I actually did a bit of research about him and it I suppose it just shows you you know you're not necessarily the finished article. You know, at a young age, it takes you, you know, time to grow. He was afforded, well, he was allowed to go away to Aberdeen. He was allowed to go back to Coventry at one stage. But yeah, I really liked him on the couple of occasions I've seen him. The numbers don't lie. His assists, he's getting goals now as well. And and the one at the weekend was absolutely sublime strike. So um, he's definitely got something about him. He really made them tick when I see it, when I saw them. Obviously quite um, congested in that midfield area, a lot of movement. And he's kind of replicating what... Wes Houlihan's done for a number of years and that, that probably says it all. Matt, um, the goal was incredible, but what for anyone, again, who's listening who doesn't know much about James Madison, what sort of player is he? Uh, well, he's an incredibly talented attacking midfielder. We, we were talking about it before the showing and I think the goal was stunning, but it's the way he receives the ball before taking the shot on. And at such an early stage in the game as well, where a lot of players haven't necessarily settled into the rhythm of the match. And he just opens up his body to create a space, flicks it around the defender and then just lashes it in, in the top corner. But uh, I think that's that's really his, his greatest asset is the way he receives a pass. Michael Cox uh, wrote a really good piece earlier this season on ESPN about Harry Winks and the way he's constantly looking around, assessing what options he has on and then moving into space, receiving a ball and opening up his body ready to, to play a pass. And that's what Madison does as well. And he's always on the move. He's, he's good with the ball at his feet, a good dribbler. And uh, and we've seen obviously the devastating finish he has. And, and that was actually his third match winner in the last four games. So he really is a talisman for Norwich. We're led to believe that West Ham have made a £12 million bid. I mean, that seems way off given that Jordan Henderson was £16 million seven years ago. Um, if you had to put a price on him, Sam? Well, I don't know if there's the urgency to to have to sell, having um, flogged Pritchard and obviously Cameron Jerome recently, and they've brought in um, players com- comparably for for pittance, really, from from Germany. So I, I don't know the intricacies of uh, what's going on at board level, but I mean, you'd have to say in the re- the region that they could probably get in the region of fifteen, sixteen million. You would think, um, especially given I know we spoke a little bit off air. You know, he was. Um, f- you know, he flirted with a few bigger clubs before he actually joined Norwich. There were some top clubs in for him at that stage, so I don't think it's completely been under the radar. I think people have been aware of his quality, and now that he's actually producing it in the, the second tier, you know, it's not really a gamble, is it? No, quite. Uh, speaking of which, Joe Crilly <laughs> from William Hill. Um, Norwich have got a horrible run of games coming up. They've got Middlesbrough, Derby, Ipswich, and Wolves. Um, but if they do get through that with plenty of points. You know, maybe, maybe a chance for promotion. What can we get on promotion for Norwich right now? Well, they're uh, 33 to 1, which makes them 12th (laughs) favourites. They're only eight points off. They've had a decent run of late, but as you mentioned, they do have a a tricky run of fixtures. Now, if they can carry on the decent run of form that they've been having into these uh, next few games and they come out with a handful of points, then that's probably the time to start looking at them and, uh, and backing them to maybe get promotion. Excellent stuff. All right, that is it for Norwich. When we come back, we'll play the Fan League. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with William Hill. 
For all the latest odds in the footballing world, check out williamhill.com or download the app. And if you don't spot something you fancy, why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag your odds for your very own personalised bet. 18 plus only, be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops, stop. Ireland. The number of live football shows taking place in the Irish capital is quite literally Dublin. There's only one, though, that will feature James Richardson, James Horncastle, Julien Laron and... Pat Nevin. And Pat Nevin, not just on the panel, not just talking about football, but doing a, an hour-long DJ set beforehand. It's the Totally Football Show live in Dublin with added Nevin. It's happening at Vicar Street on Monday the 19th of March. So get your tickets now at ticketmaster.ie. Totally Football live in Dublin, Pat Nevin, Vicar Street, Monday, March the 19th. Don't miss that. And don't miss the Fan League either, uh, which, in case you didn't know, Sam, is an app that you can download. You get a slip of 13 games and you just choose home win, away win or a draw. Um, only three games on the championship list because we are playing for tonight's games, Tuesday night's games. So first up is Hull against Leeds. I've got a feeling this week is going to be very important for Thomas Christensen at Leeds because they've got this. Uh, they've got Cardiff at the weekend. If they don't come out with maximum points, I think he could be in trouble. Is that fair? Yeah, uh, potentially. It's um, It's been a bit topsy-turvy. I think they had a good start to the season at Leeds, didn't they? And um, I saw them a few times and I thought they were very robust and quite physical and I think I've been proved right the last few weeks. They keep they seem to be getting lots of players sent off. I think it's three in the last four games or something. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, a little bit precarious. I think we've we've been questioning whether there's going to be a central striker to get enough goals. And Kimar Roof, who is very capable of playing through that through the middle, has done that at times for them and scored goals. So, um, yeah, I, um, I think his his position is is certainly not secure and probably going to come under pressure again. I could see Hull getting a result there, especially off the back of their. They could win against Forest in the Cup. Matt, I called Hull a shriveled husk of a football club last week and then they knocked Forest out of the FA Cup. Um, can they beat Leeds? Oh, they can definitely beat Leeds. I, I think it'll be a draw, though. I mean, it's seven championship games without a victory for Nigel Atkins since uh, he beat Brentford on his first game in charge at Hull. And I think Leeds, they're a difficult side to, to predict, aren't they, really? Sometimes they're, they're excellent and sometimes they're shambolic. So, so I'm going for a draw for this one. Okay, Sam, um, what did you go for? I'll go for a Hull victory. A Hull victory? Mm. I'll I'll go for draw on this as well. Um, Game of the day, Sheffield United against Aston Villa. Sheffield United sort of seem to be recovering. Ryan Leonard, very good signing. Um, But they've also got a tough run. Villa now, Wolves at the weekend, and then Leeds. Can they beat Villa here? Yeah, I think Sheffield United and Bristol City were the two that nobody anticipated being up there and... They've been done amazing to stick around the pack. They've had their little lull now. Um, Villa, ever-improving. I'll go for a a point apiece there. Um, Villa, very much uh, ever-improving because they've won their last four games, Matt. Yeah, and Scott Hogan uh, finding form after his uh, difficult time at the club with uh, with injuries and, and poor form. So... I could see Villa sneaking this one, actually. I think that Sheffield United will control possession and Villa will just look to hit them on the break, which is what they do very well. I'm going the other way. I really like Sheffield United and that my heart is leading me on this. I'm going to say they'll win. Uh, final game on the slip, Nottingham Forest against Preston. Forest essentially a kind of second division Liverpool in that they're really, really good sometimes and then really bad. Um, what are they going to be tonight? I was saying exactly the same thing last night. All that momentum and that good feeling after the win over Arsenal, and then they took a big allocation to Hull and to lose one nil when everyone's just got a bit of cup fever. They're mm. the story of the third round. It's probably typical of their last few seasons. So um, I still maybe anticipate them to get something out of the game. I'll go for a Forest win. Matt? Well, it all depends if Preston can select Jordan Hugill, whose contract definitely expires <laughs> in 2019. <laughs> Takes a big man to acknowledge his mistakes. So I'm going to go for Forest. Okay, I'll go for Forest too as well. Uh, that is the Fan League. Um, get onto that on the App Store. Just search for Fan League. Now it's time for the League One Roundup. Listeners, you like stats, and so do I. So have a bang on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know. 
Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. League One then. Shrewsbury are back in second. That played out an ugly game at Portsmouth, but Paul Hurst's side don't mind those. James Bolton's second-half goal won the points, but Pompey were furious with the refereeing. We could talk about Blackburn's 1-1 draw at home to relegation-battling Northampton, but let's just focus on the fact they're now 17 games unbeaten. What a run. And there was an interesting Twitter exchange between Bradford City and a Valley Parade DJ who played Road to Nowhere in the 4-0 home defeat to Wimbledon. The Bantams somehow stay 5th, while the Dons are up to 16th. Blimmer for flying again. Their unbeaten run was ended by Wigan last week, but a 2-1 win at Oldham has put them back on track. They're just 9 points off the playoffs, you know, and they've got the wind in their sails, which is rather more than could be said for poor Oldham. Ah, the curse of the Totally Football League show. After we covered them last week, Doncaster crashed to a 3-1 home defeat to Bristol Rovers. While Gillingham fans are literally begging us to stay away, as they picked up a 4th win on the spin, coming from behind to beat Fleetwood 2-1 and climb to 10th. And Southend United have finally done a win, their first three points since Boxing Day. Michael Turner, of all people, was the man on the spot to slide home an injury time winner in an engaging tussle with Scunthorpe. The Shrimpers are up to 17th and the Chris Powell era is up and running. And speaking of which... Let's have a look, finally, at Southend United. Been holding off on this for ages and ages. Matt, would you like to know some of the history of Southend United? Again? (laughs) (laughs) It's a long old train journey, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it really was. (laughs) Southend United were formed in the Blue Boar Pub in 1906. We walked past it, Matt. Um, They pinged about the two divisions of the Southern League until 1920, enjoying the services of, and I quote the official website here, the mercurial inside forward Prince Blot. I checked him out. His full name is Samuel Prince Blot, but he called himself Prince Blot, and frankly, who can blame him? And he went on to play for Manchester United. Anyway, Southend did very little of note until 1955 when they moved to Roots Hall, a stadium so iconic and awe-inspiring that Matt's first words when he turned the corner were, uh, is, is that it? The Shrimpers for It Is They actually remained in the third flight from 1920 to 1966, when they dropped into the fourth. A period of time enlivened only by the arrival of Scottish forward Billy Best, who really should have been from a comic. Under Scottish boss Dave Smith, Southend held Liverpool to a 0-0 draw in the FA Cup in 1979 and won their first proper trophy, the fourth division title. But when new owner Anton Johnson arrived, he wanted to make changes. He telegrammed Smith, who was on holiday in Tenerife, to tell him of his decision. Fuming, Smith returned to Roots Hall and locked himself in his office, refusing to come out until compensation had been agreed. He later sued the club for damages and won. Uh, Peter Morris replaced him, he came and went. Then Bobby Moore turned up, uh, England World Cup winning captain, of course, uh, and he oversaw one of the worst seasons in the club's history, uh, one that could very easily have ended with Southend being voted out of the Football League. Uh, It really didn't work out, that one. David Webb had also managed Southend in the 80s, but he'd left after a row with new owner Vic Jobson. We had a lot of those in the days. But he came back in 1988 and led the Shrimpers to -to back-to-back promotions and a debut season in the second flight in 1991. With players like Brett Angel, Steve Tilson, Chris Powell, Spencer Pryor, Dean Austin, Andy Ants. God, I could go on. Southend thrashed Newcastle 4-0 on New Year's Day 1992 and went to the top of the table for about an hour and a half. Sadly, they ended up finishing 12th. It wasn't meant to be. They were relegated in 97, again in 98, dropped all the way back down to the basement and very nearly beyond. But in 2003, I think on the basis he was the only person left at the club who hadn't already been sacked, Steve Tilson was given the unenviable task of saving the club from the gaping moor of non-league football. And he did rather better than that. He won two promotions on the bounce. He beat Manchester United in the League Cup. But you know what's coming, don't you? Two relegations, one in 2000, one in 2010, and back to the basement again. But Southend came up under Phil Brown in 2015. They nearly sneaked into the playoffs in 2017. But they went into 2018, sacked him, and they were looking at return to the fourth division. Matt, what were your impressions of Southend United? Oh, God, I've got to be careful what I say here, haven't I? <laughs> if you want to come back. I, I think my, my actual response when we arrived at Roots Hall was, where is the stadium? Because I couldn't actually see it. <laughs> Uh, I'd say there's a certain charm about Roots Hall, the way it's weirdly pieced together with bits of other buildings and corrugated iron and 
Uh, it's it's terrible, terrible football pitch. It is appalling, isn't it? You wouldn't even plant carrots in that field. You could definitely see why the club are looking to move to Fossett's Farm ASAP. I think. But uh, but yeah, it was it was a good afternoon. It was a great day out, and uh, there were other highlights as well, such as the Spread Eagle, which you you took me to. We walked past it before the game, and they were pumping out blaring house music. And then when we left at about seven pm, they were still playing house music. It was like being in Iron Napper in nineteen ninety four all over again, except without the girls. Yeah, yeah, very very few girls in that that afternoon. Um, Sam Southend, bit of a weird club. Never actually been very good, um, but potential surely dripping off them. I was going to say, a certain amount of charm about it. I always enjoy playing there, the biggest car park in the world, oh, and then yeah. a peculiar entrance even for the for the players. And I don't think it was until I was doing the game as a as a commentator last season that I, I realised there's that beautiful um, opportunity for strikers, wayward shots to hit flats away to the left-hand <laughs> side. I think that's always nice about a stadium. Um, you know, that, that supporters can sit at home on the sofa and see into the, the stadium as well. But um, no, I think... You know, I have to be careful what I say because I've been in the press room with Phil Brown on quite a few occasions in the last couple of weeks. Maybe he knew the writing was on the wall. But um, I think it looks like a really good appointment. Anyone I know who's played for him, I think it's across the board. Everyone gets on with Chris Powell. I think he'll bring the young players on. And I know that he creates a good feeling around the place and people want to play for him. And that's from people that, you know, got promotion under him at Charlton. He surrounds himself with good people. I know that he's not probably finalised his uh, backroom staff yet, but uh, I've put money that there was probably a few people in that South End dressing room that were quite pleased for a change. Matt, what did you make of um, uh, of the team? Because they, they hadn't won very much at all in a very, very long time. And uh, last-minute winner gets them a win against Scunthorpe. I think they showed tremendous spirit, didn't they? The way they went behind, came back, took the lead, were pegged back and then still got the winner through Michael Turner, of all people, in, in the last minute. Uh, there was a few players that stood out. Michael Kitely, uh, we've known he's always had a lot of quality and uh, I don't think he can really claim it was intentional, that cross for the first goal, but uh, he did whip in a few a few decent balls. I definitely think there's a partnership with Cox and Fortune, who uh, Powell recalled on, on Saturday, uh, because you know there's a certain contrast with the way the way they, they, their styles are and, and they complement each other. And then we obviously picked out Drew Yearwood, the, uh, the teenager in central midfield, uh, who Powell praised afterwards, and they had a big bear hug on the pitch at full time. And uh, he looked really composed in possession, played the ball very well on, on what was a difficult pitch, it has to be said. Uh, and I think you said, Ian, that he, there's a player in there somewhere and he's, he's going to take a bit of time to, to really become a polished uh, first-team star. But the way he settled in uh, in place of Ryan Landon in central midfield was, was impressive. Yeah, I, I like Yearwood a lot. He's, he's the kind of player who... who actually thinks about what he's doing he's trying to find a better option doesn't always execute it doesn't always make the right decision but he is only 18 um i I don't think he's quite ready for first team football yet but i suspect when he is he'll be one of those ones that bigger clubs will be um will be looking at um there are reports that kevin Keane is coming in as coach formerly at liverpool and west ham uh shayon harrison coming in from the tottenham youth team where chris powell uh, who's done a bit of work for recently. Um, Sam, really the priority when you take over a club like that is just avoiding relegation, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think Phil Brown did a good job last year. I saw them a few occasions and they, they went right down to the wire, didn't they? With I was actually at Bristol Rovers watching Millwall that day and they just pipped him to that final position in the playoffs. And he went with those experienced guys last year, which I saw Anton Ferdinand playing tremendously well for a spell last year. Simon Cox still consistently doing okay this year. There was Noel Ranger I'd put into that bracket as well last year, who's a good player at that level, obviously. His problems are, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and um, but but this year, I think those players, some of the ones I've just mentioned there, add Kitely to that list. Fortune, they've probably not done as well as uh, the Southend supporters would have anticipated. So I think that's been a reason for their their poor form. It can't all be, you know, on the manager's door. You've got to look at the players on occasion. But yeah, for Chris Powell, it will be getting that initial bounce that you'll get, and he's a former player, so the 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 supporters of a um, a vintage. Uh, 
um, age will will well remember put. will well remember what he did as a player. He, he put it well the other day. Some of the, the young kids who support Southend went over the foggiest clue he is, but um, he'll get that little bit of patience from the supporters. But like I just uh, touched on, I think he'll make everyone feel good about themselves, and he'll want everyone to to play for Southend and and run for a brick wall for him. Phil Brown did a brilliant job during his time at the club, and one thing that probably persuaded Chris Powell to come there is the fact that Brown was afforded time as well to to build his team, even if uh, finances are. Tight, but with Brown, there's always that feeling that being from the northeast, there were links to Sunderland earlier this season, and there's always a feeling that perhaps he was looking to to get back up there or to move on to a, to a bigger project in the Championship. Obviously, he managed Hull in the Premier League and, and did a really good job with Hull as well. And I think the, one of the best things about Powell is that he he has the humility to drop down from the Championship, take on that South End job, and do it to the very best of his ability, rather than perhaps seeing it just as a stepping stone to get back into the Championship at some stage. And and that's going to be massive for for the team spirit. Yeah, I, I probably don't speak for most South End fans, but um, uh, Phil Brown, I never really resented that. I think managers, certainly experienced managers, know that their stock rises and falls dramatically. If you've just got a team promoted from the fourth division and you've got them on the banging on the doors of the playoffs and bigger jobs start opening up, you know, it's, I think it's kind of understandable. It's personal circumstances as well, isn't it? Like, like we say, he's, he's from the northeast, and I think sometimes people looking from the outside just look at opportunism and think that footballers and football managers are always on the move just to to earn a better contract or to be a, a bigger club but really it, it can depend on so many things and you've, you know your family circumstances your location so I think it's very difficult to judge Joe what can we get on a Chris Powell revolution and Southend going up next season you can have 150 to 1 on them getting promoted this season mm-hmm. um, next season we haven't priced it up but I imagine that there'll probably be double figures probably around about the 16 to 1 shot uh, to go up but it, it seems to me that this team are very uh, their performances are based on confidence they've gone on long stretches of uh, unbeaten runs and long stretches of uh, of, uh, of defeats as you well know so uh, I mean if you are looking at the other end of this table they are 9-2 to two to go down this season <gasps> still 9-2 yeah got to get those 16 points on the board uh, odds on Chris Powell getting a knighthood uh, I'll give you whatever price you want Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't rule it out I might take that bet well, you can judge by going to watch Southend, as Matt did. Um, purchase your tickets before match day and you get a bit of money off. We paid £22 for our tickets in the East Stand, um, though junior tickets are available for £10 and the under-8s go in for £4. Uh, you can drive on the A127. Good luck with that. There is a car park, as Sam says, at the main stand. It's uh, a fiver. Um, or get the train ordinarily to Prittlewell and then a five-minute walk, but Prittlewell wasn't open at the weekend, and don't get me started because that was a really long, cold walk. When we come back, we'll be doing League Two. You didn't mention the fish and chip special. Oh, the fish and chip special. All right, League Two. Luton Town are nine points clear at the top of League Two. After all the goals earlier on in the season, they're now showing another side, and that's how to win Grimm. They were reduced to ten men in the first half. They only had three shots on target all day, but it was James Collins who made one of them count. Meanwhile, Mansfield Town, somebody's Christmas tip for a surge, they won again. A 94th-minute Mal Benning goal broke Morecambe's hearts and sealed a 2-1 win for Steve Evans' side. They're third now. Carlisle cut Forest Green down to size. Yes, another Forest Green pun, earning a 1-0 win thanks to Jamie Devitt's fifth goal of the season. While Barnet made it back-to-back 1-1 draws under new manager Graham Wesley with a point at Cheltenham. Crew were leading Swindon 3-1 midway through the second half on Saturday, but somehow contrived to lose 4-3. They are skidding down the table. They're just three points above the drop zone. Port Vale, they're going in the opposite direction. Another vital point, this time against Colchester, whose promotion charge really has stalled, gives Neil Aspin's side a seven-point cushion on relegation. Harry Kuehl's Crawley Town are just five points after the playoffs, after they beat Accrington 2-1, thanks to a brace from Dutch winger Enzio Balderween. And Chesterfield did what Chesterfield do, following up wins over Luton and Yeovil with a 1-0 home defeat to Stevenage. Sam, if you thought it was nerdy already, brace yourself. <laughs> Carlisle Red Rose were the dominant force in Victorian Cumbrian football, but they were undone in 1903 when a number of their players appeared in a -a five-a-side tournament run by the Northern Counties Wrestling and Athletics Association. 
Well, let me tell you. A Cumberland Football Association weren't having any of that. They were livid. Banned the lot of them for four months. And into the breach stepped Shaddengate United, because that's where everyone had to go to watch football instead. Red Rose never recovered. And in 1904, after a particularly heated AGM, Shaddengate United changed their name to Carlisle United. In 1905, Carlisle joined the Lancashire Combination League, but only after they agreed to pay the travelling expenses of the rest of the division, because Carlisle is a really long way from Lancashire. That deal, unsurprisingly, didn't work out for anyone, so in 1910, they left for the North Eastern League, which made far more sense. They joined the Football League in 1928. They're in the Third Division North until 1958, when their substandard season saw them drop into the newly established Fourth Division. Bill Shankly started his managerial career at Carlisle, but it was Alan Ashman who brought the first bit of sustained success, winning back-to-back promotions to the second division in 1965. Ashman earned himself the West Brom job for that, and he won the FA Cup with the Baggies, before returning to Carlisle via Olympiacos, and then he led Carlisle to the first division in 1974. Shankly called that the greatest feat in the history of English football. For a very short time, it seemed like they might do something even greater. They were played 3-1-3 in August. They didn't win too many more, and they slipped straight back down to the second division and into the third two years later. By the mid-80s, they were back in the fourth. Michael Knighton, who almost bought Manchester United for 20 million quid in 1989, he bought Carlisle instead in 1992, and there were some happy moments there before he went a bit odd and appointed himself as manager. Of course, there was Jimmy Glass, the emergency lone goalkeeper who scored the injury time goal that kept Carlisle in the league, but they did go down eventually. Their luck ran out in 2004. They came back in 2005, won promotion to the third division straight away, and then they came back down to the fourth in 2014. But under Keith Curl, Matt, they finished 20th, 10th, 6th. They must have expected to better that this season. They might have expected that, but I don't think they will. It's not going to happen, is it? No, it's uh, another fiercely competitive promotion race, and I think it's going to be really difficult to catch a top seven, even though sides like Swindon, with five wins in the last seven games, are making a good fist of it. I think the biggest challenge for Carlisle is having a goal scorer that can... Uh, help create some consistent run of form really they, they lost Charlie White halfway through last season and that derailed their promotion uh, bid they were in the automatics up until January and, and then when Charlie White departed for Bradford which which would be a huge loss for any side in League 2 and, and would be a massive loss for Bradford in League 1 even this season with, with links to the Championship so I think it's it's a difficult job for Keith Girl, who uh, I must say I absolutely love seeing him strutting in his Yeezys on the, uh, the, the Brunton Park touchline um, so yeah I don't think they'll be going up um, they have just signed two new strikers. Uh, Chris Twardek, uh, who's a big Canadian forward on loan from Millwall, has got one cap for Canada and a host of Ute caps for the uh, Czech Republic. So there you go. And Cole Stockton, another big lad from Hearts, who scored a few at Morecambe in the past. So Curl is obviously working on that. However, I did watch the game against Forest Green and I watched the game against Stevenage the week before. The, the quality's not great. Uh, I'll tell you all about it, but... The News and Star, the local paper up there, I wish there was a byline on this report. He puts it way better than me. Speaking of the game on Saturday, he says, The lowest point of the spectacle came after 25 minutes when Park sent the ball skyward with a hoof Peter Kay would have been proud of. Hayden Hollins met it with an airborne header that went behind him. Seconds later, another Forest Green man shanked it badly to the right. And at that point, one feared the entire sport of association football was going to disappear all the way back to the Stone Age. It really... (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, that the game was just awful. I mean, it was really windy and really muddy. But um, but weirdly, they, Carlisle have seven points from nine, and that's their third clean sheet on the spin. They haven't actually conceded since New Year's Day against Mansfield. Sam, have you seen any of Carlisle recently? A, a little bit. Um, obviously, more just the, the goals and the, the highlights. But um, like Phil Brown, I think he did a really good job last year, obviously getting them into the playoffs, and it was a 90th-minute winner. That stopped them from getting to Wembley, losing to Exeter. Um I remember speaking to him around about that time and he can be quite spiky, quite prickly, Keith Kerr. And I think he's, he's had a bit of a ding-dong with supporters recently. I think very much they're divided on, on his future, but only six points off the playoffs. And like you rightly, rightfully say there, it was a really ugly win over Forest Green because I've seen Mark Cooper um, saying it was you know about the elements really and what team got the goal. So very tight affair. But um, yeah, I think he's, he's already done a little bit of business in January. And it'll be really interesting to see if they don't make the playoffs, the the writing could be on the wall in terms of a new contract in the summer. It would be sad, that because he's been there, I mean, three and a half years. It's an Mm. eternity at that level. And 
it, it's harder than it looks at, at that level, isn't it? You can't just build on and build on and build on because, as Matt says, you'll lose players left, right, and centre as soon as they start performing. Yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul Tisdale used to call it cycles, you know, and um, he's probably built five or six teams during his tenure at Exeter. And no, I'm always, always for managers given time to implement their ideas and obviously have an impact in bringing through some of the, the youth players, uh, as Paul Tisdale's done so well in the last few years in Devon. So, it's probably similarities between the two. It's a bit of an out footballing outpost. People expect the young lads down in Devon to be surfers and and what have you. But they have got a, an art in producing players, and it's the same up there because it's probably difficult to re, to recruit lads to go up there from from London per se. So they're they're reliant on different markets, maybe the SPL things like that, and also producing their own talent. So I think they got a bit of a boost from those two lads that you you spoke about there. The lad from Mill, I've seen a bit of Twardek and. Um, the, the chat from Hart, so a bit more more of a presence to to give them some goals because um, I think an old teammate of mine, Danny Granger, is top of the charts again with nine, and you know he's a left back. Danny he's great for a free kick and a, and a penalty, but even he probably doesn't want to be topping the goal scoring charts. Yeah, they were um, the. A very compact when when they were out of possession, they fell back into position really nicely. I was very impressed with Jones at the heart of the midfield as well. I mean, it is always worth restating how far away Carlisle is. I think there's only three teams in the division that are within 90 minutes travelling distance. Um, and having travelled with the away fans to Plymouth and to Yeovil in the past, um, those guys are absolute heroes. Um, can Carlisle make a push this season or is it best for everyone just to go, you know what, transitional year? Well, they're going to try to make a push, aren't they, if they're only six points off the playoffs and Keith Curl's not going to let them rest up at this stage, especially after they came so close to promotion last season. I think Sam made a really good point about how it is difficult perhaps to recruit players to, to such a footballing outpost and he made the point about bringing players down from, from the SPL, which which had done to, to some degree of success in the past and... Uh, I think Danny Granger was up there, was he, early yeah. in his career as well? But he's he's a local boy, actually, isn't he? He's, he's mm. from that area. So you know, it, it, it's almost sort of underlines the point that they need to focus on players that, that are in the, that catchment area to try and bring through younger players as well. Um, but I was actually, I think I was reading last week that um, there's been approval for a new airport at Carlisle, a new airstrip. So oh, I saw that. The uh, possibility of domestic flights. Yeah, which would be great for attracting players, for, for fans from uh, away teams to travel, for the Carlisle. Carlisle team to, to be able to get back quickly after games down south so that could actually be something that opens up a few options oh, for them. Sorry for the guys running the coaches though that must have been like the safest business <laughs> in the world. Yeah. But, um, Joe Crilly, William Hill, Carlisle stuck in the middle of the table are they going up? Their odds reflect just <laughs> their, their position in, in the league at the moment they're 25 to 1 to go up Yeah. Um, they're around about the same price to go down so I mean you can't really see them doing much either way uh, except for pretty much staying where they are all right well if you want to go and see carlisle and you you really should not least because there there aren't many other clubs up there to go and watch you can get adult tickets for 19 pound for seats and 16 for terraces uh young people 13 quid and 10 quid under 11 seven quid and four quid under sevens go free uh the ground's very easy to find it's about a 15 minute walk from the train station as memory serves um and the club car park if you want to drive there it's uh it's three quid otherwise plenty of street parking right joe crilly william hill here's what i want to know wigan fa cup heroes at the weekend also leading the way in the league what are the odds of a uh, unique double league one and the fa cup well it would be incredibly unique um given the uh, difference in price between the two um they are one to four to win the uh league one title they're 80 to one to win the fa cup and the double pays just over 100 to 1. 100 to 1. Yeah. All right. Um, your own Bolton Wanderers, uh, who could really do some points, they're in action on the telly against Bristol City. Um, what are you saying about Bolton? Um, well, they're quite a big price to win uh, at the weekend. They're 13 to 5. Um, but I've been hearing a little rumour that, uh, as well as Tim Cahill going back to Millwall, another of Bolton's favourite sons might be coming back to the club in Chung Yong Lee. Sadly Chung not. Lee, I think really? JJ could still do a, a job, if I'm being honest. But yeah, Chung Young Lee, he hasn't been getting game time at Palace. Um, and obviously with transfer deadline day just around the corner, uh, that could well be a deal uh, that sees him in the starting eleven for the game. So Bolton 13-5 to to win this against Bristol City, who are just a shade above evens at 11-10 to with the draw 9-4. to um, Obviously it's on, on Friday night, so I'll be here. Uh, 
down the boozer watching it, and uh, I think I might have a cheeky pound on Bolton winning. All right. What about uh, probably the game of the weekend, Wolves against Sheffield United? Yeah, it should be a it should be a corker, but uh, I fancy uh, Wolves to get the win in this one. Their odds on, as you can well imagine, three to four. Uh, again, that price that I don't particularly like. Sheffield United fifteen to four, and the draw thirteen to five. All right, there you go. If you want more stuff like that, um, how do we follow you on Twitter? It's at footy underscore Joe. That is correct, there yes. There you go. I actually remembered it for once. <laughs> Just about enough time for some questions that have been coming through on Twitter. Uh, Thomas Keane, he says, Nick Powell, whew, what a performance in the FA Cup. Who are the other talented EFL players to be looking out for that could play at higher levels? Sam, anyone we haven't mentioned that... Um, that you'd like to go, Matt? Anyone spring to mind? Well, anyone at South End? Quite an open-ended question. Yeah. A- anyone at South End? Who's good at football? <laughs> we talked about Sammy Smoddix at Colchester last week, and he's having a fine season, being linked with a million-pound move to Bournemouth. So I think he's someone at 22 years old that could step up. Uh, took me a bit by surprise there. I'll go for a few League Two strikers that I've seen. Go on, uh, Mo Issa at Cheltenham. Right. Saw him very early on in the campaign against West Ham in uh, the Carabao Cup. I think he came from Stevenage Borough. Had a sensational. Um, uh, goal scoring record sorry not Stevenage it was Greenwich Borough and a uh, tremendous goal scoring record and I think he's got 14 now and um, no he had a, l- a little bit of everything in his game um, you know obviously got good pace but getting goals as well in his first season in, in the Football League so certainly one to look at there and um, Rose as well at Mansfield who um, scored a, a good amount of goals as well for them and I think he's just signed a new contract um, to, to stave off interest from, from elsewhere. So he's another player that's been tied down by Mansfield because clearly I think it's got the quality to play at a higher level. Gabriel Sutton on Twitter. Um, you might want to open your football league paper. Just pound fifty, absolute bargain, to the League 2 table for this one. Uh, Gabe wants to know the lowest placed team that could realistically get promoted from League 2. The lowest placed team that could realistically get promoted from League 2. They are bunching right up in that pack behind the playoffs. Sam, what would be your lowest reasonable bet? Probably down to Lincoln, I would say. Or maybe even down as far as uh, as Colchester. One place below them in 11th, realistically. Um, Lincoln speaking. in 10th? Yeah, down to 10th now. And they were just a few points off second Jesus, a few th- weeks yeah, ago. They were, yeah. <laughs> they were in automatic promotion places, weren't they? They lost Raggett, though, didn't he? Uh, Recalled by Norwich. So. Good God, things move quickly in League 2 when you're not looking. That is just about all we've got time for. Sam Parkin, thank you so much. Assured debut. Thanks for having me. No My worries. Pleasure. Matt, thank you. Thanks very much. There you go. There wasn't even a dig in there. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, remember to let us know. Uh, reviews on iTunes always help. Um, we are very active in social media since Social Paul joined the team. So get on us on Facebook and Twitter on some variant of the Totally Show. Um, remember also to keep an eye out for Performance of the Week. We'll be putting those polls up right now. Make your vote count. Until then, it only remains for me to say, see you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Hello there, it's James Richardson here. I don't know about you, but listening to that theme tune takes me back to altogether happier times. The ice cream, the pink newspapers, the, the double espressos, the hair... For those of you who don't start doodling during our Italian roundups on the Totally Football Show, well, here's some news you've been waiting for. From mid-January, we're going to be bringing you a brand new weekly podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest events from Syria and turning the clock back to the good old days, you know, when the national team used to go to the World Cup. The name of the show? Like you didn't know already. Golazzo! The Totally Italian Football Show. You can subscribe now on Audio Boom, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts.